Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. We are in a series of the Book of Acts called the Upside Down Series. I am so glad you tuned in. We teach the Bible, providing biblical truth for everyday life. So no matter what you're going through right now, I believe with all my heart that God's Word will have power to change you and to help you and to encourage you. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a physician by practice and also run a ministry of teaching the Bible and writing about God. You can find me at livingwithpower.org. In the meantime, I want you to sit back and listen up as we delve into the book of Acts and focus on God's word and ask the Lord to change us in every way that he needs to. Won't you do that with me? And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I hope you do so now. I hope you tell your friends about it. And I hope that you're finding these teachings useful for you. So let's listen up and see what God has for us today. And then we're just going to get into the lesson today, which I've titled Bold Beyond Belief. You know, we left Peter and John last week uh, at the door of the temple. They had healed the lame man, if you remember, and it was a, it was a great chapter. I loved that chapter. It brought back some memories of childhood songs, you know. And, and, and more than that, you know, I, I kind of thought a bit about Peter and John you, and really the disciples. We started off in Acts 1, and remember, it was a great chapter because they saw the resurrected Christ, and, and it was like everything that they thought was gone was actually so much better. God had exceeded their expectation and then some. He did above and beyond what they could ask or think in in resurrecting Jesus Christ. And so they're on this like high and you think, how could it get any better? But in fact, it does get better because you go into Acts 2 and and of course you get the filling of the Spirit. And I'm sure the disciples talked about that for hours upon hours and evening upon evening of just all of that entailed. And and you think, gosh, could it get any better? But in fact, it does get better because you get into Acts, well, the end of Acts 2 and you have the beginning of the local church and the people are unified and they're giving and they're sharing everything and and there's just such a spirit of love and community that I think is just is is something that we would look at and say oh to have more of that as much as we may have it in our church just to have more of it and then you get to chapter three and it's like it could get any better than a unified church than a growing church three thousand believers added to the church in Acts 2 but it does get better because you have that lame man healed and who not Jesus Christ healing him but Peter Peter and John, the guys who you think had this much faith back in the Gospels, all of a sudden are doing works that are unbelievable. And, and not only do they heal the man, but then the people who are around the temple want to hear. They basically line up to say, tell us more about Jesus. Tell us more about salvation. It's incredible. I mean, how, what could go wrong? Talk about having the favor of God on their lives. And just when you think that things couldn't get better, you get to Acts chapter 4. And it's going to be the beginning of a very new pattern. And and I just find it so much like our lives. I'm going to start reading a few verses, and then we just have four points today. But I'm amazed because sometimes we are very much like Peter and John, where we give our lives to the Lord, and He comes in and takes over, and some great things happen, and and change happens in our life, and, and, and we see some obvious transformations, and people are like, what happened to you? Well, I met Jesus Christ, and, and well, that's incredible. You're so changed, and everybody's happy for a while, but then what happens? You get into Acts chapter 4. And let me start by reading a few verses. In verse 1, it says this, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Do you see what happened? So they're in the middle of preaching. Everything great is happening. People are coming to Christ. And uh uh-oh, the Sadducees come. Now, you guys remember the Sadducees from when we studied Luke, some of you who took the the book of Luke. And they didn't believe in what? 
the resurrection. So here's Peter and John, and that's all they're preaching now is the resurrection because that's the essence of the, of the gospel story. And so the Sadducees have their feathers riled up, and so they come and they arrest them. And it's late in the afternoon to the point where they can't judge them that day, so they have to throw them in jail. Now, now think like Peter and John for a minute. What happened the last time one of their closest friends went before the Sadducees and was thrown in jail? Uh, it wasn't so good, was it? From their perspective. He was flogged. He was shamed. He was ridiculed. He was spat upon. And then the next day he would be t taken to the cross and he would die on the cross. So here's Peter and John. They don't know what's coming. They haven't done this before. They don't realize that really compared to future imprisonments, this one's quite easy. But they're taken to prison, and I, I, and I wonder what sense of woe and what sense of heaviness was upon them. And in a moment, we'll see exactly what they were thinking. But, 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 but I think so much about our lives, where things are going well. You're obeying the Lord. You've surrendered to Him some areas of your life. He's changed you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself facing the Sadducees. And all of a sudden, the clouds come over your life. And, and I got to tell you, I'm not a lot like Peter and John. We'll see in a moment that they handle it much better than most of us would have handled it. I know that my knee-jerk reaction is to complain and to wonder where God is. And, and yet we look at the example of Peter and John, and they're quite the opposite. And you say, how? How were they so filled with faith? How were they able to withstand this episode and come out of it, not just, not just like, like survive it, but they come out strong? And in fact, even in this point in verse 4, we see that, that, that the people were so impressed with the message of the gospel that despite even the fact that they're arrested, 5,000 men get saved. I mean, that's not even talking about the women and the children. Talk about God working in and through them in the middle of opposition, which we'll talk more about in a minute. So four points today to address this point. How did Peter and John manage not to falter in their faith? And here's the first point I want to, you to write down. If you want to be bold, you've got to be utterly convinced. I was driving in the car with my nephews, and I often use them as a litmus test for a truth that I want to teach. And, I, you know, I think Jesus really got it, you know, I mean, I mean of course, Jesus is Jesus, you know, but he, he hit the nail on the head when he looked at kids, and he says, like, like don't suffer the little children to come. He, he understood that, that there's so much truth that comes out of the mouth of, of kids, and I find that always to be the case. I said to my nephews, I said, let me ask you a question, guys. I'm teaching on Acts 4 on boldness, not baldness, but boldness. I said, you guys know what it means to be bold? They go, yeah, it means to speak out, like, like don't be shy, speak out strongly. I said, can you guys give me an example of, of someone who is bold? My little nephew goes, I think you are. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, thanks. But it was interesting because I said, I said, why do you think Peter and John, who were like just a few chapters before, couldn't even face a servant girl in front of a fire and claim the name of Jesus Christ. How did they get to the point where, where they would stand before the magistrates? We'll, we'll see in a minute where they're, they're standing in court, really, and acknowledge the name of Jesus with such power. How did they go from, from weakling to bold like this? And my nine-year-old nephew, who's like very matter-of-fact, he says, well, that's because they saw Jesus go up, and that's it. Do you understand? I jotted this down under, you've got to be utterly convinced. I, I wrote this down, you have to see the resurrected Christ. The way to be convinced is to see the resurrected Christ. And I'm again reminded of, of the disciples. Remember Thomas? It really, you've uh, you got to turn to that for a minute. Because Thomas had the same problem so many Christians have. People come to Christ, and, or, or right before they come to Christ, they struggle with this notion of, well, I can't see the resurrected Christ. How can I believe in, in the resurrected Christ? And Thomas, he was the same way. He, he came to dinner with the disciples. They had all seen Jesus. They had seen the marks in his hand. And Thomas is like, unless I see the marks, I'm not going to believe it. And what does Jesus say to him in John 20? 
He says in verse uh, 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about us. You say, well, I don't get it. I mean, I mean you're right. We don't see Jesus, so how do we, how do we believe? First verse that comes to mind, what do you guys think? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Anybody know what that verse is? Now what? Now, who, who remembers the word? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We believe in the resurrected Christ by faith. The essence of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is a walk of faith. Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace. Through what? Through faith. You're sitting here. You have accepted Christ in your hearts. You have seen the resurrected Christ by faith. Now you say, okay, well, well that's good because I, I needed to be reminded of that because sometimes my faith is shaky. And, and, and honestly, that's probably something that Peter and John had more of because they had literally just seen the resurrected Christ. And so they're sitting there in prison. They're thinking about being flogged possibly, but then they're thinking, what's the big deal? I mean, look, it happened to Jesus. Now he's alive and well. So we, get, well, we got nothing to lose. But I wrote this down also under this first point. You have to experience new life in Christ. Not only had they seen the resurrected Christ, but they had experienced new life in Christ. Every one of us can say that if we've come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, can't we? The old has passed, all has become new. I think it's Colossians 3.3 that says that my life is hid with Christ and, and God and how we walk in newness of life. Paul constantly refers to that in the epistles. Have you experienced new life in Christ? Can you look at your life and, and say, here's how I was before Christ, and Christ came into my life, and here's what happened after. Peter and John could say that. I mean, they could say that, you know what? Before we saw the resurrected Christ, we were scared. We were so afraid. We, we scrambled. We, we didn't even want anyone to know that we knew him. But, but when we saw Jesus resurrected, Peter, I mean, think about him. He's out there fishing. He's given up hope. He's in shame and guilt. And Jesus comes and reaches out to him and says, you're fine, Peter. You're my son. And there's reconciliation through Jesus Christ. So Peter sees this new life in Christ. Not only does he see it, he experiences with the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And then he sees the work of God through the salvation of others. And he sees the testimony of the gospel, how there's power in the gospel itself. He sees people coming to the Lord. He sees the church unified. Do you understand it? And so you look at your life and you can see God's work in you. Of course, you believe by faith what is told in the gospel. Then, then you see the fruit of it in your life. And then you start seeing the works that God is doing in you. So many of you can stand up and tell stories and say, and say you know what? It's true. My mom, I mean, she didn't really, like, she didn't really accept my faith at the beginning because she doesn't know the Lord. And, and I'm talking theoretically here. And, and then, you know, I came to Christ. And now she sees that I'm more patient, that I get up in the morning, that I help, that I do the dishes. There's signs. There's fruits. And then maybe your mom starts coming to church with you, and maybe then she comes to Christ. You want to be bold. You've got to be utterly convinced, and you're utterly convinced when you see the resurrected Christ, when you experience new life, and when you know God's word. I think nobody knew the word of Jesus Christ better than Peter and John. In fact, go through the Gospel of John. I don't know that you can stop looking at, at how many times John writes about the fact that Jesus warns that there will be tribulation. Jot this reference down, John 16 Verse 33. Now, granted, the gospel, I think we have kind of forget that a human being 
the Holy Spirit is using a human to write this. This is the inspired word of God, but, but God chose John to write the Gospel of John. And so here's John, who's one of the disciples, and he writes these words that Jesus had said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Do you understand that? So Jesus had thought, so, so imagine Peter and John in prison. And maybe they got a little freaked out. And maybe Peter is like, oh, John, I don't know. We're going to be in trouble tomorrow. We better be ready to die. And John is probably like, Peter, remember when Christ said, in this world you will have tribulation. You see, did Peter understand it? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, nobody wrote about tribulation and trials as much as Peter did. Can I just turn over there for just a minute and read just a couple of verses? He was the one who wrote in, uh, well, I'll start here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He wrote for this for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So he understood that, that suffering was part of the process. By the way, by the way, Paul wrote a whole lot about suffering, didn't he? Remember the words in Philippians? About how Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and what else? And the fellowship of what? Of his suffering. So they knew the word of God about it. They would, you know, there's so much is said in the, in the gospel of Matthew. Jot down Matthew 10, verses 16 through 22, and go home and read about it. How Jesus had, had given the disciples a sermon and said, and said you're, you're going you're gonna to be persecuted. It's not if you're going to be persecuted, but when you're going to be persecuted. And don't worry when you're persecuted. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. And, and I bet you that when he said those things to the disciples, they kind of looked at each other, and they were probably like, Holy Spirit, what's he talking about? Because that was in, in John, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 10 before he, you know, he got into all of the talk about the Holy Spirit. So they're probably kind of scratching their head like, but, but in Acts 4, they've already experienced the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's a completely different perspective, isn't it? They were utterly convinced of the truth of the gospel when you get to Acts chapter 4. If you want to be bold for the Lord, you've got to be utterly convinced. Are you walking by faith? Are you seeing changes in your life? Do you know what the Word of God says about being persecuted, about tribulation? Here's the second point today. We're focusing on Peter and John and how to be bold in the midst of great difficulties. I'd say being, being thrown in prison at the hands of the Sadducees falls under great difficulties. Number two is this. If you want to be bold, you've got to be unaffected by the opposition. I want to read a little bit more. If you want to be bold... You've got to be unaffected by the opposition. And then let's pick up in verse 5, and let me read down through verse 12. It says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. By the way, a lot of these people, familiar names, right? Caiaphas. Remember him from the time that Jesus was crucified? So again, imagine Peter is like, oh, no. We're going to go before Caiaphas and Annas. Bad news. It's like going to court and getting that judge that you're like, I get him every time. Or that cop that pulls you over every single time, the same guy. I'm sure I'm going to get a ticket today. Same, same principle. Imagine the fear that may have come in, in his heart or, or did it. Or did it. Verse 7 says, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And they could have softened it a bit and been like, well, you know, we kind of, we're kind of good that way. But they didn't, did they? They could have kind of mumbled something, but, but here's what they say. It says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom 
you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected, rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And look, this verse, you've got to underline, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So instead of being fearful and cowardly in the midst of these rulers who are waiting to flog them and crucify them in Peter's mind, what does he do? He says to himself, this is a chance to share the gospel. And so he figures, well... They may have missed it when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. I might as well take this chance to do it now. And so he, he, he just lays it on the line. Next time you want to witness to someone, just use this verse. Just say, there's no salvation in no one else. There's one name that saves us, the name of Jesus Christ. He couldn't have been more direct and bold in his presentation, could he have? You say, how? How? He was unaffected by the opposition. Just a few thoughts about that. The opposition will come for sure. Just under point two, you can jot this down. The opposition will come for sure. It's not, again, it's not if you're going to be uh, opposed. It's when. This is one of my favorite verses. Write this down. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. All right, 2 Timothy 3.12. Can I read it for you? It says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life. Now, break that verse down for a minute. Do you want to be godly? You don't have to answer, just in your heart say, do you want to live a godly life? I would argue that any woman who comes on Tuesday night, week after week, to study a book that was written thousands of years ago, wants to be godly. Any woman who is praying with her sisters in Christ and doing the homeworks and memorizing scripture wants to be godly. Well, I got, I got either bad or good news today, depending on how you view these things. Because the Bible says, God says that all, not some of you, not some of you who just, if, you, if you're like, check, I want to be a godly, I want a godly life. I, that's me. I want that. Well, all of you, all of you who said you want to be godly, all of you, not may be persecuted, but will be persecuted. I know what some of you think, probably, because I've thought it in the past. I've thought, well, thank God I live in the United States. Because if I lived in, like, China... Or like Saudi Arabia or somewhere, like it'd be really bad if I was a Christian. So thank God I'm here. I get off easy. I, and I got, I got to tell you, I don't know if I agree. I read a lot about persecution this week, and I kind of boil it down to a couple of things that I want to share with you. John MacArthur is, uh, has a, just something I, I want to read that I think just is, is so relevant to the Western church. He talks a little bit first about the history of persecution. I won't get into that. And he talks about how a lot of times persecution is religious and political. But he says the Christian church, the Christian church so our church, is always under persecution. The greatest persecutor of evangelical Christianity is probably liberal Christianity. I think he's right. Now, let me, let me read this. Uh, persecution is subtle today. He's talking specifically now to the Western world. It's subtle. It's not what it used to be. Satan used to direct the persecution uh, at the physical body, but not anymore. Now he directs it at the ego. Okay? I'm going to read a little bit more. He directs his persecution at pride or acceptance or status, and it's really very effective. He doesn't threaten the Christian by saying, if you witness, I'll cut your head off. He threatens the Christian by planting within his mind the fact that if you witness, you might lose your job or your status or someone might think you're strange. In these days, persecution has a tremendous effect in a very subtle way. The form of persecution in the early church made heroes of those who died. And it came to be, MacArthur goes on to say, it came to be such a normal thing for Christians to die that many Christians developed a martyr complex and just went around trying to put themselves into positions where they could be martyred. They wanted to belong to this club of martyrs. 
that, that sounds so foreign to us in some way, but it was like, it was, it was a status of being very godly. But he says, but today, the persecution that comes is, much, is more effective. He says, Satan has killed the church in terms of its spiritual effect without ever having to kill the Christians in it. In fact, by letting them all live in an insipid kind of godless Christianity, he has a greater effect than if he wiped them all out and had to face the issue again that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Are you following? And listen, in some places, he's still using the physical dangers. I mean, we all hear about the story. I think the Iranian pastor who is being put to trial and put to death, maybe as we speak. I mean, we all hear of those stories. But, but, but look, just because we're not getting that here in the United States doesn't mean that we're not persecuted. This persecution comes in a very subtle way. Last sentence I want to read here. He says, and so Satan, whose persecution in the past has slaughtered, has slaughtered Christians physically, has found it much more effective to kill the church by making it complacent, indolent, fat, rich, socially oriented, and accepted, and insipid as it's watered down its theology to accommodate the world. Now, I would say our church is far from watered down theology, but I worry that so many of us are tempted to become complacent, indolent, fat, rich. You say, I don't feel rich. We are, every one of us, far richer than most people who live across the ocean than you can ever imagine socially oriented and accepted daily struggles that we all face to want to be accepted even by our christian brothers and sisters the persecution is right at our doorstep and we've missed it well that's our teaching for today and i'm so glad you checked in and i pray that god is at work in your life even as you conclude this time in the word Hey, I can't wait to be back with you next week. In the meantime, know that you can download our app. It's called the Living With Power app, where you can access all teachings and resources at your fingertip. You can also spend some time on our website. It's the livingwithpower.org website, where you can also find out about our global work. Uh, we have a store that you can buy more resources on or download free studies. Hey, are you following me on Instagram? I show up daily trying to provide encouragement to you and a little tidbit of God's word in a world of social media. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And if you've been here before, please come back again and subscribe to this podcast. But more importantly, just know that God loves you. He's for you. And I can't wait to be back with you next week.